Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. So today's episode will be the third and final portion of my interview with Dr. Krishnamurthy on the use of biologics. We've talked about screening and choosing your biologic, but once that prescription is sent, now what? Let's listen back in with me and Dr. K, but first I'll mention our disclaimer, that this episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor does it represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmstead Medical Center, or their affiliates. Okay, so let's say you decide on the biologic that you want to prescribe for your patient. You send the prescription. Then there's obviously a process to get that medication to the patient. So what does that look like as far as prior authorizations and other steps that are along the path? Right, and a lot of the times, like, the patient comes in, it's the first time that you're seeing them, and you know they need a biologic, and you've talked them into it, and now you have, like, six charts up. And you're like, how do I get this done? Can you come back at five? No, I used to do that until I sort of got a um, a uh, a flow going. And honestly, the key to having this is a fantastic desk nurse. I don't think providers need to be uh, they need to be aware of the situation because you all you always need to be aware of everything that's going on in your office. Um, but having a fantastic desk nurse who's dedicated to doing your desk duties, whether that's phone calls, refills, scheduling issues, faxes, and priorities. I'm not talking about a girl or a guy, MA, that, you know, does your notes, and then when you're gone, does all your prior odds. Like, that just isn't going to work. They're never going to be able to get anything done in real time. They're always going to be jumbled, and they're going to quit, and you're going to find a bunch of prior authorizations shoved into the bottom of a drawer, like, underneath, like, a bag of Kit Kats. Like, it's, it's <laughs> always, it happens every time you don't have a desk nurse. You always find all of these papers, and nothing ever happened. No, you know, a lot, even where I'm at now, we have some, we have several nurses that are dedicated to just doing prior outs because that's such a full-time job. So no, it really is. And they can, and the thing is, it's also like, you know, longitudinal relationship with the patient. I mean, these things take weeks to do. There's back and forth. Every single, every one of them has a little bit of a different nuance because they're all different drugs and they all have different, you know, insurance companies and they all have different deductibles and blah, 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 blah. And so having the same person taking that phone call from that patient and working with that patient, you're not having to like, you know, sign out these patients, you know, to the next person every day. And that's almost never going to happen anyway. And so you, you should also just have a backup person in the office that knows how to do these tasks in case of staff turnover. It happens all the time. But it's best to have the same person doing these tasks. If you don't have that, I have not so far found a model to be successful other than this. Yeah. So it, 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 no, this, this just has to be that way. I've tried it all the different ways. I've tried rotating, everything. I've tried everything. It doesn't work. The person has historical memory of that individual patient, and it just lessens all the mistakes in the game of telephone when too many people are involved. Um, exactly. And that takes a lot of the frustration out for the patient, too, because that can happen so often. Then they just almost feel like giving up on even trying to start a biologic when they've talked to four different people who refer them to somebody else. Right. Or be like, I don't have any information here. I don't know. How. So, you know, I'll skip forward to that because you need to have a backup person. Like, you either need to have a, you have to have a physical way that these things are tracked. And they're sort of, they're sort of, Three ways to do it, 
and then a fourth way that you back that up. So the three ways to do it are you just document it in the EMR, like you know you have a chart note open that's not a visit, and you just are documenting the along the way for each of these patients, you know where they are at in the process as it comes to you, you know while you're on the phone with them, you know. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a great pearl. I like that. Yeah, you need to have some kind of physical way, whether it's a ledger, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet, because if you call out sick. Somebody else can pop into that spot and they know exactly how we're doing it. So I've done it by Excel spreadsheets. I've done it by chart notes. I've done it by ledgers right now. Right now, actually, what we do is so there's the secret fourth way, which is, you know, make a relationship with a specialty pharmacy. They have reps that will come out to you. They're happy to they're happy to adjudicate these things for the patients because, of course, you know, they get something on the back end for it from, you know, prescribing, you know, from dispensing the drug. But. What they will do is we have a great relationship with specialty pharmacies and I've had this, I'm not going to specifically speak out to one specialty pharmacy because I've had this similar relationship with two to three specialty pharmacies in the past where basically once a week they will sit down with my desk nurse and they will say, like, they'll track it all. They'll say, okay, this patient, you wrote, we wrote blah, 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 blah. Here's where they're at in the prior auth process. Here's what we need. Here's what we don't need. Here's what we have to wait for. And they'll just sort of like do this sort of like this. You know, like this, this, that they're doing the sign out. I'm not doing the sign out. You know, the pharmacy and the desk nurse are doing the sign out every week. And so that's just another backup to your internal to have that person tracking those patients with you. Yep. So you always, so you're ahead of it. So if you're not, you know, you're not getting a phone call six weeks later or you're, you know, you found the facts that fell underneath, you know, the trash can or the Christmas tree. You know, like, oh, I guess this was denied. Now we have to chase it. No, every week, you know, has something been denied? What do we need to do next? Blah, 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 blah. Okay? Yep. The second thing that I so, think is, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so basically this prescription sent, it's almost a for sure thing that you're going to get a prior authorization sent back. Have somebody who's going to help you do that. Document where you're at in the process. I'll just kind of sum it up where we're at. Well, so this is sort of the second part. All of these all of these companies have two forms that you can fill out. One is the prior authorization benefit analysis form. And one is their patient assistance form. So I have a copy of each of these. I don't print them out time by time by time. That just takes time. I have stockpiles of them printed out in each room or you can have them in the hallway in like one, you know, central area. And I'll say, you know, to my MA, go grab the XYZ paperwork. And sometimes I'll tell them to grab two different ones. So I'll be like, have her sign both, have the patient sign both before she goes. And I'll write like a one in the corner of one and a two in the corner of the other paper. And that's how my desk nurse knows, like, I prefer this. But if they come back and they kick it back and they must try and fail, blah, 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 or this is covered, you've got the other form. We're not calling the patient back in for a second signature. Like, boom, you got to go set it off. So a lot of times I'll have them fill out one or two. Love that. You know? I love having both paper. like that. I mean, no, and do you trees, usually but... choose within different, <laughs> no, I know, but do you usually choose between different drug classes then? Like if for your number two option, um, do you know what I mean? I, like I, you prefer I can, there are situations seven... when I do, I, there are situations when I do, like I said, secukinumab is not my favorite IL-17, um, just because I don't want to deal with the, you know, the possibility of a, of a drop off later on. But you know, if I do have a patient that has, you know, psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis, and I'm going to grab for ixekinumab maybe. Maybe I'll have the backup be guselkumab IL-23 as my backup because I thought their psoriatic arthritis was maybe worse than their psoriasis. But, you know, guselkumab still has coverage, and there aren't any other, other IL-17s that I want to prescribe to the patient for their arthritis. Got it. I like it. Um, the other important thing is this. So, so 
you get the paperwork, the patient signs it, you're not filling out the demographics or anything like that. The desk nurse can do that. You leave it for the desk nurse. She gets to it three hours later. Guess what? Your MA in the room didn't document body surface area, didn't document tried and failed, didn't document, you know, didn't document, you know, special sites, any of those things. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have the luxury of passing this off and, and, and having that part of the process get done by your desk nurse without like you and your MA in the room doing your due diligence of documenting the things that are necessary in the form. So pick up a couple of these forms, look at them. It's very, very um, standard. They want a BSA or a PASI. They want tried and failed medications, sometimes duration of therapy. So tried clobetazole for three months you know, the TB test, as long as you ordered it, your desk nurse can hold the paperwork till the results come in, any special site consideration. But if you don't document those things, how is that desk nurse who wasn't in the room supposed to fill this out for you, you know, three hours later? She can't. Exactly. Yep. You know, and what are you going to call the patient and be like, can you, cal- can you download the Grappa app and calculate your PASI score and like <laughs> <laughs> email it to us? Like, what are you going to, you can't do that. It's embarrassing. No. Yeah. You know? So like an example of, you know, I also think like, listen to your reps because they do have their finger on the pulse of, you know, what different carriers in your area, your payer mix, you know, your, for us it's Florida blue, but it's different like in every locale because there's all these carve outs. What, what the landscape is like in your zip code, in your area, because they'll, they once told me, you know, they have to try and fail blah, blah, blah for three months. Well, we didn't document the three months. I wanted drug X. They told me I had to try drug Y. And I was like, no, but they failed it for three months, but it wasn't documented. And the patient had to wait two extra months to get medication because we had to go through the whole process. Just because I I didn't listen to the rep or I forgot about it, you know? And so they will sometimes tell you like what the carve outs are in your area. So you want a specific drug for a patient. You have to, you sort of have to like keep those in the back of your mind. Yep. I think those are the things that just like, I make it easier. Having the desk nurse capturing what you need in the room um, and then just yep. sort of looking at sort of what the car vets are in your area. We all have sort of these super bills that are on the patient's door that we pick up and look at. You know, I look at the patient's name. I could have seen them before. I look at their, you know, medical history. But I also look at their insurance. I'm not going to lie. I look at their insurance before they go in the room. Not because I'm going to treat them any differently with what is within my power to treat them with. But I already want to be cooking options in my head before I go down a rabbit hole of things that they're not even going to be able to access. So then when you look at the insurance, let's say private insurance versus they're on Medicare, what, so how do you, what do you choose based off what you see on their insurance coverage? So a lot of the times it'll be, I'll get a recognition of a pattern if they, we'll just talk about private insurance for, you know, commercial insurance first. Sure. Sure. Um, You know, do they have a huge deductible? You know, what, what, what biologics out there right now are carrying sort of these cards that help patients with their deductible? Because a patient can have a medication covered, but if their deductible is $12,000, they're responsible to eat the first 12. Some of these drug companies do have these cards that will eat, you know, help eat some of that deductible down for the patient with, you know, patient assistance. But, um, you know, if they're commercial, in my area, say, like, I know for sure we have a huge health plan that's a hospital-based system in our area, and I just know that they want XYZ as first line. I just know it. So if I'm okay with it, then I'll go for it. I very, very rarely can I not find a way around being okay with it, but I really can't be okay with it. Then you have to find the contraindication or, or whatever it'll be, you know? 
Mm-hmm. For Medicare, so really it's a little paying bit, attention to what's covered. Yeah, right. Go ahead. But that's all pattern recognition. You're not gonna. You're, that's just going to come with your desk nurse knowing, and, and that's what I can do to my desk nurse now. I want to go like, hey, do you, this insurance, like what has been your experience in the past? Like, can we get X or Y? And they're like, Y is so much easier to get. I'm like, fine, it's Y. They're both the same to me for this patient. I like it. You know? Yep. As long as the patient gets medication, that is, that's the key, like getting them medication. Of course, making it easier for your office, but I feel like those things are almost in tandem. Getting mm-hmm. it fast for them, if you sort of know these sort of nuances, and then and then making it easier for your desk nurse, I think is is really important. But you know, make a relationship with the specialty pharmacy. I think it'll it'll help your desk, you know, MA a lot. And you were starting to say when oh, it comes Medicare. to Medicare too. Sure. Yep. So when it comes to Medicare, I will say from five years ago to now, Medicare coverage for biologics has gotten um, extensively improved. Um, I generally don't find too huge of a problem especially because there are patients who maybe it's approved, um, but there are more patient assistance programs available that have been able to sort of navigate that law between Medicare and, uh, you know, between, you know, Medicare and the government being able to negotiate. There are a lot of programs out there now that these companies have that have helped my patients get it. And in the, in the worst case scenario, you have to remember that if they have Medicare hospital coverage, you know, you know, their, their, their Part B coverage, then they can go to an infusion center and get one of those other three to four drugs that you can give in, give in an infusion center. And then what does the process look like for you to have the patient go to that infusion center? You send the prescription their way or I've, I've never done it myself. So, so there's two different ways I've done it. And in one place that I practiced, we had an infusion center upstairs and it was a hospital based medical office building that was, you know, right near, you know, you know, a tier three hospital. Mm-hmm. And so basically um, we, we, we wrote, we wrote the recommendation to the, um, oncologist of the floor and the oncologist of the floor wrote the order. I wrote the order and signed it. The oncologist then sort of co-signs it, administers it. Um, and then, and then that's it. There's a setup between the nurse having to obtain, you know, they don't, you know, these, these infusion centers aren't stocking like, you know, even their, you know, chemo drugs, they're not stocking like an overly amount of them. You know, they have to still order them on a regular basis. So they'll coordinate and they'll order the, the drug for the patient. Um, and then the and then the medication will get delivered to that infusion center in the very same way that that medication gets delivered either to your office or to the patient's home in coordination. Okay. The nurses at the infusion center are really good at doing that. We've also used outpatient infusion centers. Um, and again, it's just this is just not this is something you sometimes have to, especially if the new arrangement you're making with a colleague, you are going to have to pick up the yep. phone and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. Are you down? And they're always down. But you have to just have that <laughs> conversation. Nice. And just establishing that relationship with whoever's in your area because uh, obviously it's going to be on a case by case location mm-hmm. by location uh, basis so no i think that's a great pearl for having those options for patients especially when they can't afford others based off their insurance so okay so then i just want to quick sum up you know we have the patient in front of us in the office these are the things that happen in that visit when you want to start the biologic obviously you do a good exam you look at the bsa or the posi score of how severely they're affected you make sure they don't have any contraindications to any of the biologics those black box warnings we talked about ask about the presence of psoriatic arthritis and then obviously in your exam check for any special sites that are involved and then from that you kind of choose which biologic you want to start then to get the biologic covered for the patient while they're there in the office. You want to know what they've tried, what they've failed, how long they've been on those medications. 
So then you're going to get your labs. So that's going to be your testing for tuberculosis with your quantum fear on gold, usually your hepatitis panel, CBC, CMP is usually done. Some people will check an HIV as well. Um, you get the labs done. Then the, while the patient's there, you get your paperwork done. So like Dr. K said, at least one good idea to do two different patient assistance forms for whichever biologics you want to get covered. Take a good look at, your, at the patient's insurance to help decide what medication you want to choose for them as well. And then... Am I missing anything else? No, I just, I, I think that, I know I didn't talk a lot about the paperwork process of it, but really when you have your desk nurse that has, you know, her Excel spreadsheet out, I mean, it really can go on autopilot as long as they know that they're just supposed to keep organized and every sort of drug has a little bit of a different nuance of like how many appeals you have to do or whatever. But again, those things are just form letters at some point. They just become form letters and it just becomes an, an easy algorithm um, for your for your nurse to navigate. Um, and so I wanted to say that the other thing that I wanted to say is I think the number one reason patients don't get biologics, even when you run a tight ship like I do, is because the patient doesn't pick up the phone when the pharmacy calls to verify that the patient wants the medication shipped yes. um, to oh themselves. Gosh, yes. or they just don't pick up the phone or they're denied or their the number not answering it. Right. Or their insurance denies them, but then they refuse to engage the patient assistance program because they start asking financial questions. And, you know, there's so much fraud out there, which is understandable. And so, like, sometimes that final connection, you're like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, how do you get this medication to the base? So, again, fill out the prior auth form, send it to the pharmacy. Fill out the patient assistance form, send it to the pharma company. As long as you do both those forms, and a lot of the times I will do it for two different drugs in the room, the patient just has to sign and then it goes off. And the nurse faxes it to where it needs to go, and then the information just starts coming in. It, it, it isn't that, it isn't as hard as it sounds, I promise you. The other thing is you have to tell the patient that there are going to be people that are going to be calling them and that they need to pick up the phone. Um, and that's exactly the way I said it. Like you have to pick up the phone. Uh, you know, there may be, if you can't get it covered, there may be people that may ask you for, you know, personal information or financial information. If you feel uncomfortable, take the person's name and number down, call the company and verify. Um, or you call the number back just like you would do if your bank was calling you or call us and we can help you verify. But I think like preempting this has off, like has softened this problem and like minimized the problem for my office. Because again, it comes back to the key being, you know, with patient buy-in. So I, I always find that to be probably the best 30 extra seconds that I spend in the room because it's the one thing that just helps all of it come to fruition, you know, them picking up the phone. Yep. And I also give them the expectations like, look, you're not going to have this medicine tomorrow. It can be a process to, you know, get through the prior offs and all this stuff too, because that can oh, really yeah, take a lot absolutely. of frustration Great out point. of it for patients. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, Dr. K, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this episode or probably multiple episodes once we break it down. Um, so do you have any final words that you want to leave people with just when treating these psoriasis patients with biologics? We just have such a variety out there and they have such excellent safety profile compared to some of the oral medications that we've used in the past, like the methotrexate and the cyclosporins and the Celsept, and we still use them when we need to, but we have, you know, such a great menu of options. And I just find you know, that among my colleagues, that the number one deterrent is just not being able to get like a hold of, you know, just getting on the treadmill to get this process going. And it's, you just always feel like a failure when it doesn't go through and you don't know how to do it. And then you're busy. And like, you know, we say you have six charts up and then, you know, you've got to go pick up your kid from soccer. I get it. <laughs> I'm telling you that the key to this is to really dedicate one of your staff members to do it. It is the joy of medicine to help these people. Yes, we will pay an extra employee or you know, split an employee with another provider. 
Yes, but I mean, it's what we went into medicine to do. We didn't go into medicine to throw clobetazol at everyone and it not be working. Like, it's such, it's so satisfying um, once you get the right person in place and just dedicate yourself to like doing what we went into medicine to do. Yep. A lot of grateful patients once they clear up with mm-hmm. these medicines too. So awesome. Well, thank you again. Hopefully see you soon, maybe for graduation down in Florida. Oh, Otherwise yeah. around at the conferences oh, when we yeah. get them back. So heck yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. So I think something that a lot of people sort of get hung up on and why the process is so, so complicated is because the actual tube of medication has to go through this ridiculously convoluted process to even get to the patient. And so obviously the pharmaceutical company is the one that's producing the medication, but they're not selling the medication. That goes to a wholesaler. Then this wholesaler, like Costco, say, just for an example, it's not really Costco, but like Costco, then distributes it to either the specialty pharmacies or Walgreens or the hospital pharmacy. And then from there, they give it to the patient. Now, now, Nowhere in any of this process of this patient getting the medication and the insurance company verifying with this pharmacy is the prescriber actually actively involved except for starting the process, which is what makes it so difficult. So what's going on, there are all these other people in the room with the, with the patient and the, and the provider, but at the end of the day, the provider just can't hand this script to the patient and the patient just doesn't, that doesn't materialize in the medication. It's got to go from the pharmaceutical company to the wholesaler, to the specialty pharmacy, who then talks to the insurance and nobody ever talks to the doctor until they tell you, you can't have it. And sometimes they don't even mm-hmm. tell you why. And so again, I think this is why it's very, very important to sort of have an organized sort of system and use a specialty pharmacy because they will be sort of that that person to show you that transcript between them and the insurance company to tell you what's really, really going on with the patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of players involved when you look at the pharmaceutical company, the insurance, the doctor's office, the patient, and a lot of times fingers are pointed in different directions as far as who's responsible for doing what I feel like. But it's, yeah, but it's almost like the prescriber has to go through the insurance who has to go through the specialty pharmacy and the patient has to go through the insurance and the specialty pharmacy but there's no direct communication between the patient or control between the patient and the provider in the process of a prior authorization. So there are a lot of players involved to get the medication for the patient. I mean, obviously you have the doctor prescribing the medicine or the biologic to the patient, but then you also have the pharmacy, you have the patient's insurance company, you have the pharmaceutical company. So could you maybe walk us through what that process looks like and where the prior authorization lands in there? Okay. So, you want to write a patient a biologic medication. You fill out the prior author- you fill out the prior authorization form um, that is provided by the company along with the patient assistance form. You give it to your desk nurse. She faxes them both in one to the company so they can look into whether the patient qualifies for patient assistance, and then one to the patient's specialty pharmacy or the specialty pharmacy that you're using. The specialty pharmacy then runs the prescription and gets an answer from the insurance company as to whether the drug is covered. Sometimes the drug is covered and there's no problem. We love that when that happens. All right. (laughs) Don't we? Sometimes the drug is not covered and you will get a letter within 20 to 60 days from the insurance company that'll tell you that the patient has to try and fail XYZ um, or that they have a different preferred drug for the diagnosis that you've submitted psoriasis that you'd like you to try. Um, Sometimes that is an acceptable outcome. 
And my desk nurse knows if I have submitted to her a second choice, and that's the one that's covered to go ahead and just automatically do it because I've already given permission. Um, but sometimes she'll bring it to me and she'll say, are any of these okay? Sometimes I'll say no. Um, and sometimes I will say yes. On the times that I say no, we are at a fork in the road because I really do need this medication or another medication that I know is also not on their tried and failed list wouldn't qualify. Um, you know, I just know that I'm going to be blocked at every, every outlet. That's when these patient assistance forms um, become very, very important because you fax them in. That's already been cooking at the drug company for two weeks. They've already assessed whether the patient qualifies for patient assistance, what they can do to get the patient the drug, and what a lot of times they'll end up on what they call these bridge programs, where at least for one to three years, the patient is guaranteed to get drug as long as we can document, hey, we tried with the insurance company. They denied it. They want us to do all these other step edits, which is what they call them, all those tried and fails, or they want to do all these step edits. And a lot of the times, a lot of these drug companies will say, well, fine, as long as you have the letter that says... Um, they require you to do a step edit. We're going to send the medication that you want to the patient for free. Or, hey, send one appeal letter in, and if you get denied that, we'll send it to the you'll send the medication for free. I have a lot of patients that Got have it. been able to access medications that way. Great. No, that's super helpful. I think that Thank was a little bit more. Um, I thought that was a little bit more practical, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. Just because there's a lot of players involved, and then it gets kind of convoluted. And mm -hmm. I know for us, like when you have the the nurses that do that, it they're taking care of a lot of these things for us. But I think like you mentioned at the very beginning, we have to be aware of everything that's going on. So especially where the doctors were the captain right. of the ship, right? right? So. All right. Thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls, but supporting this podcast from the get go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Gren Zone. This episode is copyright 2021 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Gren Zone podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.